Welcome to the Harvest Time Podcast. Harvest Time is a faith community reaching and embracing real people, engaging them in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit harvesttime.net. Now, prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Good Friday. Was there really anything good about that Friday? I mean, we all know what happened. It was, it was far more Stephen King than it was Walt Disney. And what actually happened? I mean, we know what happened because we've all seen the, the productions. We've, we've all watched churches and, and we've tried to, to do with poor costuming and special effects to present in some palatable way, some 21st century American palatable way, this first century torture and execution of Jesus the Christ. Some of us have even stomached movies like The Passion of the Christ, which much more vividly and and much more graphically present the horrors of that night, but still fall far short of the historical and biblical description of the violence of those events. But what was really going on? I mean, why did this all take place? And what do we celebrate on Good Friday? Celebrate? What is there to celebrate? I mean, when we recall that night, when we recall the cross, when we recall those horrific events, what do we celebrate? After all, we all know what happened, or do we? Do we know that 700 years earlier, Isaiah not only prophesied the events of that night, but he also prophesied that humanity at large would miss the whole point? The message paraphrases that passage in Isaiah 53 this way. Who believes what we have heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up Before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum, but the fact is, it was our pain he carried, our disfigurements. All the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sin that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on Him, on Him. He was beaten, He was tortured, but He didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and He was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? They missed it. The very people that were the closest to Jesus had just been told what was about to happen, and they still didn't comprehend it until much, much later. In fact, while it was happening, they were confused. 
They were in disbelief. They were terrified, traumatized, and terrorized. And all of this just days after Jesus had had this conversation recorded in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. As he's going up to Jerusalem on the way, he takes the 12 aside and he says to them, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. He had just told them this, and yet they couldn't believe what was happening. Later that same week, the events that he described began unfolding. It started as Jesus sat at the Passover table. The Jewish Seder meal, a meal with tremendous symbolism and meaning and hope for the people of God. Peter and John had seen to all the preparations, wine, check, unleavened bread, check, bitter herbs, check, vinegar for dipping, fruit compote, and of course, the sacrificial roasted lamb, check, check, check. All was in order, the same meal, the same process that the Israelites had shared for over 1,400 years. Do we know that this was no sad day, no somber meal? No, this was the greatest celebration of the whole year. It was their Independence Day. It was a week-long celebration that ended with this feast, the Passover, In fact, the population of Jerusalem swelled on that week from its typical 80,000 to 100,000 to anywhere between 3 and 4 million. That's Fort Smith suddenly taking on all the residents of Little Rock and Chicago. No wonder Pilate came down from Rome to observe what was going on. Normally, Herod would have been enough to keep order, but with that many tourists in town, it was important that they not have a riot or much worse, a revolt. But the Jews did not come to riot or revolt. They came to remember. They came to eat the meal and to drink the cups of wine as they were commanded by Moses. We find that command in Exodus chapter 12, the instructions for the Passover meal, the very last meal that they would ever eat as slaves in Egypt. For after that meal, the angel of death would come, and the firstborn of every household would be stricken, except for those who had the blood of the lamb on their door. Exodus 12, beginning in verse 12, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood... I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Verse 24, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, What does this ceremony mean to you? Then you tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. 
And Israelites did exactly that. They commemorated it for the next 1,400 years, every year sacrificing a lamb to recall that through the blood of a lamb, they were spared from death and set free from slavery to go to a land of their own, a land promised by their God and their deliverer. Oh, it was a party. And four cups of wine were part of the celebration throughout the meal. That night, in that room, Jesus took the first cup. And he said, and we find it in Luke 22, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. After that first cup, then bread or or vegetables were dipped in a vinegar solution to remind them of the betrayal of Joseph's brothers, which ultimately led to their captivity in Egypt. And it was during this part of the ceremony and remembrance that Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to them. Did they not hear what he had just said? I mean, they all heard what he said, but did did they get it? Am I so much better? How many things have I heard? How much of God's Word do I know and yet refuse to hear, yet refuse to apply to my life and just simply miss the point? After all, we live in the Bible Belt, and we're here on a Friday night, a Good Friday service, so that means we all love God. We all know the Bible. We all walk in the truth, or do we? Do we know that the four cups of the Passover represent the four I will statements God made and promised Israel that night they were delivered? For he told Moses, and we find it in Exodus chapter 6, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. The first cup that they drank at that Passover was the cup of sanctification, remembering that we are chosen. We are set apart. We're not an accident. We are on purpose and for a purpose. I will bring you out, God promises. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. The Israelites were delivered from Egypt. Jesus was delivered to the executioners that we, too, could be delivered from our bondage to sin. I will 
free you from being slaves. God promises. The third cup is the cup of redemption. Though we largely live our lives ignoring God and sometimes even running from Him, He reaches every day for us. He has paid our price. He has bought us back. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. God promises us. The fourth cup they drink is the cup of praise. And we'll get to that one in just a minute. Halal is the, is the word praise in Hebrew. It's where we get hallelujah. It's, a, it's an exclamation of celebration. The cup of praise because I will be your God and you will be my people. What a glorious, glorious experience that fellowship with God will be and can be for us even today. So what was worth celebrating at this Passover? The Lamb. The Lamb whose blood gave them life and access to these promises of God. But this night, Jesus, the Son of God, did what no earthly lamb could ever do. See, an earthly lamb would satisfy God's justice for one year. The penalty for sin, we know, is death. But if a lamb was sacrificed, that penalty would pass over us for one more year. God would overlook our sin overlook our selfishness, so long as we continued to remember and continued to follow all of the other rules, he would overlook once again, but that night, that last cup, Jesus took it after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do we know what this new covenant is exactly? Uh, The new agreement that he is making with us and God? See, the old one was that as long as we followed the rules, he would honor that lamb and overlook our sin and pass off the judgment that we were due for one year at a time. A new agreement would need a new sacrifice, would need a new lamb, would need a perfect lamb. Well, just three years earlier... At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, as he approached the river where John the Baptist was with his followers, John saw him coming and exclaimed to his congregants, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do we know what he did for us? Do we know what it makes available for us and what it means for us and why it is so good? He took our sin away forever and forever and forevermore. What an earthly lamb could never do, the perfect lamb of God fully satisfied the whole debt of mankind to a holy God. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 10, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you really pleased with them though they were offered in accordance with the law. But then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
For by one sacrifice He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, He says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sins is no longer necessary. Wow. That is what we celebrate. And that is what is so good about this Friday. Will we receive that forgiveness? Will we drink these cups? Sanctification, being set apart, living our life on purpose and for His purpose. Deliverance, living free, not just free from the penalty of sin, but from the daily limitations that it brings through our sin nature and selfish pursuits. The cup of redemption, our price is paid. Will we live knowing that we are free and spend our lives reaching out to free others in His name. And the fourth cup, the cup of praise, joyfully living a life that celebrates that we know and testify that we are God's children, no longer belonging to ourselves, but wholly belonging to Him. Collectively, those four cups are called one cup. It's called the cup of salvation. And all of these blessings were not only available to the Hebrew children, but they are available to you and me today as well because of Christ. The one Lamb, the Lamb of God, gave Himself once for all. And we are no longer passed over. We are forgiven. We are redeemed The price has been paid in full. And it was no cheap price, and it was no easy price to pay. Back to that garden, just hours after saying, I have eagerly desired to drink this cup with you, Jesus then prays to the Father and says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Because he knew what would happen, and knowing Knowing that he would be betrayed, rejected, humiliated, he would endure pain and torture, and finally death. Knowing that he would face a cup that would be a new covenant in his blood. Knowing that he would face a cup that he would ask the Father if there would be any way to please remove from him. Knowing, knowing he eagerly desired to drink that cup. Why? Why would he be so eager to drink that cup? Because you and I were worth far more to him than any suffering he could ever drink. The joy of being reunited in relationship with us would anesthetize the greatest of pain. For the joy of us, he endured a night that would cause even his closest friends to turn their heads. Will we turn away also? Or will we turn toward Him, turn our eyes on Jesus and look into His face, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith? For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy before Him. 
What joy, what celebration, what is good about Friday? We are restored to Him through Jesus Christ. The God who said, this is my beloved Son, gave that Son for us. That no matter how much sin had separated us from Him through His sacrifice, we could be drawn near, and we too could be the sons and daughters of God. Will we join Him? Not just in the power of His resurrection. Oh, we all want new and abundant life, but also in the fellowship of His suffering. Will we join Him in that cup? Back to the garden. It was in total surrender that He prayed. For after He prayed, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, then He drank the next cup and said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And everything that came after that moment was already settled, for in that very statement, it is finished. We know what happened. Can we truly believe what happened? And will we receive it? Will we join our lives to His? Will we too drink that cup, the cup of not my will, but yours? be done. Not for my glory, not for my goals, not for my desires any longer, but for your purpose and for your name and for your reputation, for your will be done. That cup of surrender is our gateway to celebration. His life was given wholly for us, but we give ourselves wholly to him. Because of this Good Friday, we can drink the cup of Hillel, the cup of praise be to God, You are our God, and we are your people. Passover remembered the old covenant, the temporary deliverance. This cup is a new covenant, an eternal life. And in this cup we remember. In this cup we worship. In this cup we surrender. In this cup we celebrate, for we know what he did that night, and he did it for us. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. It's always encouraging to know how God is touching lives through this ministry. So if you have a story of how God is working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at share at harvesttime.net.